Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Ryan Ray Harbuck is the author of When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a Chair, a memoir. A paralyzing car accident in her teens left Ryan with a new life to build. Rarely looking back, she became a swim coach and a high school teacher. She traveled to India for experimental stem cell treatment and fought hard to make the Paralympic swim team. She even became a mom. With so many stories to tell and lessons to learn, Ryan did the only thing she could. She wrote a book. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a Chair, a memoir. Thank you so much, Zibby. I am actually less nervous than I thought I would be, but I'm very like giddy feeling about being here. Oh, um, yeah. I will say that I am a little sick this morning because moms also don't have time to be sick. So bear with 
that a little bit. <laughs> I am. I will bear with anything. No worries at all. I have a jackhammer outside my office. Oh, Everything's perfect. been delayed all day. You know, it's been one of those... One of those days, but I'm delighted to finally be talking to you. You know, your book, your story is so moving and the way you write about it. I mean, I have a daughter, well, I have twins who are almost 16 and your story begins when you were paralyzed at age 16 and yes. the way you wrote about it through the lens of a teen, just a, re you know, a regular dean, like wanting to look cool and like hang out with the cool guy on the floor and, you know, break the rules and all that. You immediately like disarm the and make us just so you, you take out any of the not stigma, but just like any distance you might feel from somebody going through something else. You immediately like connect and you're like, let's do this together. I get you. Come along on my journey. Let me like take you through it. Anyway, that was a long way to introduce you. <laughs> I'll take it. I appreciate that. So can you just share, can you share your story with listeners and then end up with how it became a book. Yeah. Well, so for all intents and purposes, my story begins when I was in a car accident at the age of 16. It was a very tragic event for, obviously for me, for my family, and for our whole community, because it was this very sort of like well-publicized event where there was six teenagers coming back from a school dance and nobody really knows what happens. There were no drugs or alcohol involved, but the car ended up flying across a grass median on the highway and hitting another car. I was ejected out of the vehicle. And when I landed, I suffered a spinal cord injury. And so I am paralyzed from about my chest leveled down both in feeling and in function and moving. But beyond that, I had collapsed my lungs and so I wasn't breathing. I had broken both my arms and my legs. I was bleeding out from a spot where I had severed an artery. So I didn't realize it clearly at the time, but they didn't think that I was going to make it to the hospital, let alone anything beyond that. You know, and for whatever it's worth, my injuries weren't the worst of that night. Uh, coming back from that dance, I was sitting next to my my boyfriend at the time, and he was killed instantly on the impact of the accident. And we hit a car head on, and the driver of that car was killed instantly. And there were two kids in my car that suffered traumatic brain injuries, which if any of your listeners are familiar with that sort of an injury, I would take having a spinal cord injury any day rather than having my brain injured. That one thing that, you know, really is who you are. But obviously I, I made it. I'm alive. I spent a lot of time in the hospital. I spent a month in the ICU unit and just sort of like getting my body to begin to heal. And it wasn't until about two months after the accident that I really started to understand what my new life would be because, you know, being paralyzed now, now I was going to have to rely on using a wheelchair to get around. And luckily I live in Colorado, which has one of the best spinal cord injury rehab facilities in the nation. And so I was able to go there to do some rehab once I was well enough. And that's when I kind of learned what this new change was going to be, this new life for myself. I always tell people that I think that I was really fortunate to have this accident happen when I was so young because I was naive and you know, still very carefree. And my biggest concern was how am I going to get to the mall with my friends? Not 
how am I going to spend the rest of my life in this wheelchair? Like that wasn't the biggest thing to me. It was, it was, I want to figure out how I can get in my friend's car or how can I wear my backpack so that I look cool. And that's really what my focus was. And I think that being that naive kid, but then also understanding that I now had a different kind of perspective on what life really is and that maybe my peers didn't really understand that. I think those things in in combination really saved me and really helped me to develop who I am today and to really sort of challenge others. And, you know, I think that in all of the events of my life, I've constantly been having these similar themes of how do I get through this experience and how do I reflect on it? And what does that do for me? And what does it not do for me? And all of those things in combination has really been able to teach me so much about myself and what I want and what I need, but also then to really understand those around me and the world around me. Wow. Oh my gosh. What a story. Can I go back to your accident for two seconds? I know in the book you said you didn't remember any of it. Like you don't remember anything that happened. Can you say like who was sitting where and what had happened that night before the accident? Like, do you remember all of that? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, you're, you're a hundred percent correct. So when you suffer something really traumatic, your brain is really, really amazing. And it has this ability to just kind of shut it off. And if it's something that's just going to be too much for you, your brain can actually just like completely dull it out and you have no recollection. So I really, truly don't have a memory from even the day before until about a week later. I do have these almost like photographic snapshot images of things from that evening or even the day earlier. And then I have a couple of like blips of memories from being in the hospital initially, but I do have zero memory of the actual accident. And so everything that I know about it, I've pieced together from mostly the paramedic state troopers, those those people that were actually at the scene that evening. Most of the kids that I was with don't have any memories either, or they have very kind of like fleeting memories of the events. And because of all of that, I really don't have a huge emotional tie to it either. So it makes it just kind of like this story that I have learned once and I keep telling over and over again. But as for the night, I do know that, you know, we did kind of, we were typical teenagers in the 90s and we went and I think we played laser tag and then we went to dinner and then we went to the dance. And then while we were at the dance, um, we met up with another group of friends who they were like, Hey, we're going to go midnight bowling. You guys should come with us. And so that's actually what we decided to do. And that's where we were in route to go as the accident happened. And we were in a suburban SUV, if you know, it's kind of a big car. My friend that was driving the car, that was her dad's car that she had borrowed for the night. And we thought it was really excellent because all of us could fit in the car, no problems. We didn't have to rent a limousine or anything like that. And so it was really slick. We all had, you know, our appropriate seats. My boyfriend and I were in the very back of the suburban in, I think they're like smaller seats. Mm -hmm. And so when the accident happened, from what I was told, I flew through the side window, the side back window of the suburban. And the paramedics actually told me later on that I was so far away from the vehicle when they arrived that they didn't know where I was. They couldn't find me. They knew from 
piecing it together. They knew that there were three boys and three girls, but they did have trouble finding me at first, which is kind of oh, wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then you went to the hospital. How was your family at this time? I'm sorry to even go back. I'm just like, you know. No, no, no. I'm so glad to, I'm glad to talk about all of this because it's, you know, it's so, I talk about it so often that I miss pieces. And so it's nice to kind of get drawn back to the things that may be super important that I don't necessarily see at the time. So for my family, my family had started kind of falling apart even before my accident. So there was a lot of tension and a lot of miscommunication or lack of communication happening that I was aware of, but not in a heightened sense. I was, you know, I was a kid. And so uh, I didn't know any better. So when my accident happened, I think it sort of escalated everything. I mean, you're a mom, you understand this wholly, I'm sure, that when you witness something tragic happen to somebody else, sometimes that's worse mm-hmm. because you feel very at loss, very out of control. And so I have always said that I think my accident has been harder on my family than it ever has been for me. Because when it's you, when it involves you, you have a little bit of say over it. You have a little bit of control. But when you're watching somebody else struggle or somebody else go through something, that is far more difficult to deal with. And so I think still to this day, my parents, I have a younger sister, they all have lost things because of my accident. And they have all struggled, I think, more than I have because of my accident. And I, you know, as as a daughter and a sister, like, I don't know what to do with that. You know, I hold it and I support them, you know, but it's one of those things that it's sort of the way that nature works itself. Wow. So what happened? Take us through through the trajectory of the of the story after the accident. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because 
even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Sure. So I tried my best after my accident, after I was released from the hospital, I really tried my best to be the most normal average kid I could possibly be and probably to a fault. And I spent many, many years trying to just really be this very typical, uninteresting, unnoticeable person. And looking back, I almost laugh about it because it was so silly that I worked so hard at this sort of thing. And then it wasn't until many, many years later that I I sort of forced the realization that that's not me anymore. That's not my life. I need to embrace who I am and the challenges that I face and move myself forward. And so I had a fairly typical college experience. I actually studied biology in college. I think that I developed a real appreciation for like the human body and the way things work after my accident. And so that sort of led me to fall into that path. Although looking back, I was always writing. I was always writing journal type entries, blogs, things like that. And so I kind of could kick myself now that it took me so long to actually prove myself to be a writer. However, you know, your path leads you to wherever you're supposed to go eventually. From there, I actually, I swimming has always been a huge part of my life. I was a swimmer all growing up. Swimming, I will say again and again, has saved me so many different times through my life. And after my accident, it became the one thing that I could still do that was a bridge to my life before. And I didn't need my wheelchair to do it. And so because of that, it continued to be a really big and impactful part of my life, so much so that I began coaching swimming. And from that, it gave me a real connection to kids and teenagers. And I began hearing myself telling these stories that I had been through over and over again, these life lessons that I had learned, the mistakes I had made. And I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed the connection with younger kids and people that sort of needed to hear those stories. And so from coaching, that led me to teaching. And I taught high school biology for almost 10 years. During that time, I started to compete in swimming again. I had gone through a really nasty health scare, probably in my like fifth year of teaching. Being a paraplegic and not being able to feel and move, I had developed a wound and it had been growing from like the inside out. And by the time I was sick enough to recognize it, it was kind of too late. And so I spent eight months in bed (laughs) for that to heal. And there were so many different things that were happening. The doctors didn't understand why it wasn't healing. And they just kept telling me I had to lay in bed. And at the time I had bought a house up in the mountains by myself. And so I was living by myself in the mountains. 
And I had had a healthcare nurse coming in like every other day to check on me. But otherwise, I was laying in bed and I wasn't doing anything. I couldn't do anything. I had to quit teaching. I had to quit coaching. And that was... If if there was any point in my entire life that I felt true depression, it was during that time. And I write a chapter in my book about it. And I write it as I've befriended a spider on the wall. And I talked to the spider because that's how dark it was. It was, I had nothing at that point. I had, sure, I had friends and family, they would come and visit. And it was almost worse because they'd, they'd come and they'd bring me, you know, cookies or whatever, and then they'd be on their way. And it was just so hard for me to understand that at that point, I wasn't living. My life was not moving forward. I was stuck. So once I finally was well enough and began to heal, I realized that what was saving me was every night I would go to bed and I would dream about swimming. And I would just dream about being, you know, in that weightless pool and, you know, using my muscles and almost like in a meditative sort of sense. And so as soon as I was well enough, I wouldn't say I was medically cleared, but as soon as I felt like I could actually get out of bed, I started secretly going to the pool and swimming. And it wasn't long until I decided I made this like promise to myself that I was going to start competing again. And I was going to see what happens when you put 100% of yourself into something. And I really like held on to that notion right away. And I wanted to almost be like this poster child for my, my students and my swimmers, like, look what you can accomplish if you put all of yourself into something. And so I began training at like 3.30 in the mornings because I had to get ready and go teach a full day and then coach after that. And so really, if I was going to do this training, it had to be then. And I look back now and I have no idea how I actually managed to do that. I did that for two years solid. And I started going to different Paralympic competitions. Most of those are not easy to get to. They're not local. There's not a lot of them. And so I was having to do fundraising and just kind of like out of pocket funding for my own self to just really follow this dream and this burning desire that I needed to see what I had inside of me. And so my ultimate goal was I wanted to make the Paralympic team that following year. And so I trained for two years solid to make it to the Paralympic trials. And I was actually very proud of myself. I was constantly making better times and improving. And I got put on a select team to swim for the U.S. to get the Pan Am Games that year and all of these things. And everything felt like it was really coming together. And I felt like I was really doing the thing that I had set out to. And I went to the Paralympic Trials in 2012. And I had just this wonderful, almost like this warm feeling of something really important is going to happen here. And, And it wasn't even tied necessarily to swimming, but it was just this notion that there is something really important behind this event. And I swam really well. I made mostly best times. I was very proud of everything. And the meet was five days. They finished the meet and then they kind of just like shuffle all the athletes into this like small conference room and read off the names of the Paralympic swimmers that will join the Paralympic team. And and my name wasn't on that list. And I remember looking at my, I had my best friend there with me and I, and it was almost like, wait a minute, I had, I had planned from point A to Z and I just finished Z and what, 
I, I never actually thought about what am I going to do after this, this list is put out there, whether I make the team or not, like what happens next? And I remember kind of piling into our small rental car and thinking like, okay, you can cry now. You can cry. It's all right. But yet I had just this overwhelming feeling of contentment because I knew that I had done everything in my power to make it. And there was nothing, there was no regret involved. There was no, I wish I would have done this. But beyond that, the very last night of the meet, I was about to swim my last finals race. And I had had this brief encounter with this coach. He was new to Paralympic swimming. And so we had kind of talked about how rules are different, things are different. Let's exchange numbers and I'll help you out. And, you know, suddenly my mind was shifting and something felt really important about that. And this same coach ended up being on our flight on the way home. And we were actually, we were flying from Bismarck to Denver and he was taking Bismarck to Denver to go back to North Carolina. So it was super bizarre anyways, that he was on this flight, but I, you know, tried to talk to him a little bit before we got on the flight. And then it was like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. We need to go home. And I was talking to my friend about it. And the whole way home, we kind of uh, sat in silence and then we deplaned in, in Denver and we got off the plane and I went to use the bathroom and then I get a text from my friend and she said, where are you? Needless to say, I find her and she's standing there with this coach and she says, we're, gonna, we're all going to go get a beer now. And it was like, okay. However, I knew that her mom was like circling the airport to come pick us up, but it was just like, okay, that's fine. And long story short, after having this beer, connecting with this coach, we started emailing, texting, and then that soon led to like Skype dates. And within three months of meeting him, we were married. <laughs> what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that is... You know, one of the things thinking about writing my book as I, I was writing it back then, and I thought I knew how it was going to end. I thought I knew what the last chapters were going to be. And from that moment that I met him, everything changed from that piece. And, and that's such like a beautiful notion. I feel like almost, I feel like everybody needs to kind of sit down and even just outline the chapters of your own memoir because it really, to be able to like, internalize what you think is important and what you think that your life is and then watch it visibly change for you is is super powerful. Oh my gosh. That was the most inspiring, amazing story. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ryan, you're an incredible human being and I'm just honored to hear it straight from you, your life story. And I, I want to know every detail. I'm going to Go back to the book and and all of that. You know, I had uh, Mallory Wegman. Do you know her? Yeah. Um, anyway, she's been on the podcast, and my my husband is actually making her story into a feature film right now. Oh, that's awesome. So that's um, very. Anyway, she's so I'm I'm well versed in in Paralympic trials actually, and all of that. Yeah. And I'm so sorry you didn't make it. That seems just cruel and unnecessary punishment, but obviously it led to something great. But your spirit and being able to adapt and take in all of it and still sit here with like the sunshine is like beaming in through the window and you know, your optimism and like your spirit. It's just amazing. I, I have, I just am in awe and impressed and just so honored to have even chatted this much with you. Oh, well, likewise, truly.
Well, I hope that we can stay in touch. I want to like hear more and like I keep know, hearing. Yeah. I want you to like tell me everything ever that's ever happened to you and more. And um, <laughs> oh absolutely. Next time we'll talk about being moms. <laughs> yeah, and you have kids. Oh my gosh, how many kids do you have? Two boys, actually. Wow, amazing. Wow. Yes, we can commiserate <laughs> on that. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing yeah, your story you. and writing it. And I want to hear all more about the process of writing it. But anyway, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad to connect. You too. I feel pretty honored. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 